The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Actor Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson have tested positive for the coronavirus. They're in Australia for pre-production of a film about Elvis Presley. I do have to say, I think this made this real for a lot of people. Yeah, I think the double whammy between well. that and the NBA player yep. who had been you know, found positive to the cancellation of NBA March Madness. With no- March 11th, 2020. Tom Hanks and Rudy Gobert test positive for something called COVID-19. And the world goes understandably nuts. If you weren't scared before, you were scared now and don't you lie to me. The next day, I'm washing mail on my front steps. You ever read a wet magazine before? Oh, people don't read magazines? <laughs> Got it. Um, people started to hoard toilet paper and price gouge folks who eat a lot. We're all working from home. Zoom becomes a million-dollar company. Hand sanitizer at CVS is guarded like a Fabergé egg. The murder hordens come next. You all remember the time. And then come July, the National Basketball Association draws up what had to be an absolutely huge contract with the Walt Disney Corporation to hold a quarantine playoff on campus in the famously non-COVID-infected Florida. Multi-millionaires are eating Mickey Mouse waffles with plastic sporks on Instagram Live. JaVale McGee became a not-bad vlogger and Jimmy Butler became a coffee magnate. And the basketball was crazy. Dame Lillard came for everybody's neck. TJ Warren became prime mellow. And Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray engaged in one of the greatest NBA scoring duels of all time. There's like a sixth grader in Utah who honestly believes the Mitchell-Murray duel is the greatest basketball that's ever been played. And I don't think you can really even blame him. Game one of their first round playoff matchup, Donovan Mitchell goes for 57, 8, and 7. Murray goes for 36, 9, and 5, and Denver wins. Game two, Donovan Mitchell has 30 and 8 assists. Utah ties the series. Game three is a home game for Utah, but still very much a mile away from Epcot Center. Mitchell and Murray go for 20 and 12, and the Jazz take a 2 1 series lead. Now it's about to get spicy because game four, Jamal Murray goes for 50. But Donovan Mitchell hangs 51 and the Jazz win by two, taking a commanding 3-1 series lead. Game five, Mitchell has 30, but Murray scores 42. Nuggets live to see another day. Game six, Mitchell scores 44, but Murray gets another 50. Nuggets win, series tied. Jamal Murray forces a game seven, and in that game seven, Mitchell and Murray go for 22-17, and 17, but the Utah Jazz lose on a last-second shot from Mike Conley as Donovan Mitchell collapses on the court. And who is there to pick him up? Jamal Murray. This is First Ballot.
Welcome to First Ballot. I'm your host, Neil, of the podcast, Jordan Clarkson. Dork Nowitzki, the man who spent at least an hour this week thinking about the first person to ever discover a pineapple. I mean, can you imagine finding a pineapple? I'm coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Big and Tall Executive Suite desk chair, and today's episode could be sponsored by Big League Chew. Want a whole wad of bubble gum in your mouth to, to simulate chewing tobacco? Do you hate cancer-causing agents so you prefer bubblegum instead? Choose Big League Chew. The grape flavor goes super hard. Okay, the Murray-Mitchell duel is undoubtedly a great sports moment. There's no question about that, but is it a first ballot Hall of Famer? Here with me today to discuss that is one of my new NBA Twitter obsessions. She's a noted LeBron James fan a contributing writer to The Guardian, a contributor to Spotify Live where she's supposed to talk about music but ends up talking about basketball, and she's the lead singer of the band Tiny Deaths. It's Claire DeLune. Claire, hey. thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah. Can we, can we right out of the gate, can we jump backwards and talk about pineapples? Care to expound? <laughs> I mean, look, think about, can you pick, I want you to do something. For, uh, let's play a little thought exercise here. Claire, okay. I want you to close your eyes. You don't really have okay. to, but let's just act like you're no, closing I'm, your eyes. I'm, I'm committing to the Oh, yeah, bit. your eyes, eyes are closed, closed everybody. This is yes. exciting. I want you to think, I want you to imagine, I want you to think about and see a pineapple in your head. Yep. Describe it. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm being trolled right now. Okay, so it is, I would say, oblong in shape. Sure. Um, the It's like two, you know, key sections, the green part <laughs> and the like yellowish brown part. Right. The green part kind of looks like a palm tree. Right. The bottom part looks like a grenade. Right. And it's yellow and brown. Right. Does it look and delicious to you in your head? No. No, but I know what's inside. That's so my does, point. Yeah. Now imagine the first guy to ever find a pineapple. <laughs> Why would he eat that? Why? How, how did, I mean, and also. Desperate times, you know what oh I mean? My you're God. probably just like, fuck it. Is there anything in here? Like you're just like, you know <laughs> what I mean? You're hungry. <laughs> you just got to turn over every leaf, you know, quite literally, actually. <laughs> Is there anything in here? Uh, Imagine I just, his delight when he figured out what was in there, though. That's what I'm saying. Best moment ever. And then he probably grabs another and takes it back to like buddies and goes, you got to eat this. And everybody's no, like, trust what the me, hell are you talking about? Right I know. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Pineapples. Can you imagine? I just that think wins that the award fantastic. for most random opening question that I've ever been asked on a podcast. So I just, congratulations. I had some, I got a pineapple. My wife bought a pineapple and she wants me to cut it because it's cheaper. If you buy the full pineapple and then you cut it yourself. And There's like TikToks on how to do that. You should. I you should looked at them TikTok. up. I did. I looked them up. I wanted to know the hack. And anyway, so I was staring at a lot of pineapple, and I was feeling it and like, touching what a weird it. Looking through. I mean, the so pineapple. Weird. I think the plant develops right, like the spikiness and everything is like a defense mechanism so that it can reach Perfect. maturity. Right. Look at that. Perfect. Perfect science. Put Nature. On my science hat. That's lovely. Sure. What a what a lovely note to add there on on this pineapple thing. <laughs> and yes, the difference between the way it looks and the way it tastes—it's got to be the biggest um, space, the biggest gap between those two things of all the fruits. Just something to think about, everybody. That is. I wonder if that's true. Now I'm now I'm racking my brain. It's dragon got, fruit is pretty menacing looking as well. Have you ever seen dragon, dragon fruit? fruit? Like? I've not. It looks like a Pokemon. Honestly, it's like spiky and it looks ridiculous. It does not look delicious at all. Oh, you're Similar. right. Dragon Similar. fruits are hideous. Yeah. 
So that's, I mean, up there. With Truly hideous. Yeah. And if you consider an avocado a fruit, those are not particularly attractive looking either. Uh, that's fair. The color is not, it doesn't um, make you hungry. The, the color, yeah, the outside color just... of an avocado. I want to jump back to the dragon fruit. This has got nothing to do with our moment, but I do think <laughs> it's interesting. I thought that the Pokemon thing was funny, but it's not funny. It's just right. Accurate. Yes. Yeah. Right on the money. Well done. This is why really they pay me well the done. big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a dragon fruit, though. Is it delicious? I can't be it's better really tasting good. than a Have pineapple. Have you ever heard of pataya? Because it's the same thing. No, no. Oh, well, if you've ever seen someone drinking a smoothie that's like bright pink, like really vibrant pink, that's mm. what, that's the like dragon fruit slash pataya. That's like what makes it that. And it is delicious. Yeah. I think I've cut most of the people that uh, drink smoothies out of my life. What? Well, yeah. Welcome, you know, plot twist. I love a fucking smoothie. I'm such an LA girl. I will. I have a smoothie for like probably one, one meal for like I would say probably four or five days out of the week. Amazing. That's I love far too much smoothie. No, uh, there's no such thing. That's crazy. Uh, so much smoothie. I can't wait to talk to you about your music career. To me, the I think the final breakdown of this podcast will be probably like forty percent sports. Um. 40 percent um <laughs> your music career and then um 20 percent dragon fruits and pineapples. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly Perfect. um be, hey before we dive into our moment which is going to be a lot of fun and exciting but before mm-hmm. we dive in let's table set what is your favorite sport your favorite team and your favorite athlete i mean it was in the intro spoiler alert but my favorite sport is basketball if I had to pick a favorite team, I would pick the Lakers, but I would say with the caveat that like I really am just a fan of the league in general. I'm a fan of like good competitive basketball. So um I don't feel like a strong allegiance to any team. Um unabashedly. I just like really enjoy watching basketball in general. And LeBron James is the my Great favorite answers. athlete of all time. Great answers. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say um pre LeBron Lakers yes. play the LeBron Cavaliers. Who yeah. are you? Which team are you pulling for? Are the you LeBron Cavaliers, for? and it's not close. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. my allegiances are to LeBron. Like, I and I've told Lakers Twitter this, like, much to their chagrin. I'm like, do not get it twisted. Like, don't get too attached to me because the second this man <laughs> le- goes back to Cleveland, like, I am going with him. Not literally, because I would never. I mean, fuck, fuck, fuck Ohio. But like, um, I would be, you know, emotionally supporting him from Los Angeles. I, I will always have a soft spot for the Lakers because I just like love. LA has a really like unique relationship to its sports teams that I love. Like I love the Dodgers as well mm-hmm. for that reason. Cause I think mm-hmm. that like that when people think of like people from LA, like I hear a lot of people who aren't from LA saying like people from LA are so fake. They're so this, like right. they're describing transplants, like actual right. people from LA aren't what people think of when they think right. of people from LA. And I think like a really good representation and like distillation of what like a true Angelino is, is like if you go to a Dodgers game or if you go to yes. a Lakers game, like that's like real LA. That's like right. people who have been here for generations. Yeah. Um. So I'll always love the Lakers and the Dodgers for that reason. But no, I have no allegiances to like anyone besides LeBron, really, at the end of the day. <laughs> My family. Like, <laughs> LeBron ride or die over here. The perfect answers. Let's dive into our moment. We're discussing the Murray-Mitchell duel in the yes. 2020 bubble first round playoffs. Uh, 
to decide whether this moment makes our first belt Hall of Fame, we have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials. We're going to go through each credential, have a conversation, then decide at the end whether this moment makes our first belt Hall of Fame. The first credential is analytics. People love stats. I don't. Yeah, I don't really care. About I'm more stats. of an eye test guy, but I think that, yeah, I, I do too. I think it removes the romanticism of, of, of the, ro- I should say, it removes the romance from sports. Um, yeah. I love I love the stuff that you can't see in a sheet. But the this the stat sheet on this duel is phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> these two combine I'm gonna go through these stats. You All add right. comments when you have them. We'll discuss okay, them as perfect. a group at the end. These two, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. combined for four hundred and seventy five points. 65 three pointers. Throughout the series? Wait, just throughout the series. Throughout these okay. seven throughout these seven games. Okay. Nine 30 plus point games and four 50 plus point games. Wow. I, I mean, that's pretty amazing. It's amazing. And how old were each of them for this? That's I feel a like great that's question. I don't too. know. That's a great question. Uh, They're really early 20s, here. I think. Jamal I'm sorry. Murray age. No, I love this. It's This is going to be real. Jamal Murray is 25 right now. So he was yeah. what, 23, 24 at most? Well, this was like what? This is 20. Was this in the bubble? The bubble. Yeah, so probably like twenty three, and and yeah. uh, Donovan Mitchell's twenty five as well. Yeah, so they were early twenties. Boy, that's gonna amazing. their age. I sort of didn't realize how young they are. That's gonna yeah, affect some categories really coming up here. That uh, I have some tough questions coming up, but I think their age is gonna uh, matter here. Okay, okay. Uh, let's keep going. Jamal Murray averaged thirty one point six points, six point three assists, and five point six rebounds in the seven games. 6.3 assists and 5.6 rebounds. That's pretty good for a shooting guard yeah, who's like, his yeah, height and size. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty – that's remarkable, I would say. That's worth worth noting. He shot 55% from the field across the series in 53% from three-point range. Yeah, that's incredible. That's – 53% is really hard to do. It's like batting 1,000. It really is. Fifty shooting fifty three percent from three is like batting a thousand in the playoffs too. Like you're yes. getting, I mean, you're being defended like re- at the highest level. Yes, they care. Here are his here are his scoring outputs: thirty six in game one, fourteen and twelve in two and three. Yeah. But then he goes fifty in game four, forty two in game uh, five, fifty in game six, and then seventeen in game seven. Uh, Jamal Murray is the first player since Michael Jordan in the 93 finals with three straight 40 point games in a postseason. Murray's three game total of 142 points had only been topped in the playoffs by Jerry West and Michael Jordan. I mean, an amazing series for Jamal Murray. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good, as Larry David would say. Both Murray and Mitchell had two 50-point games, as we mentioned. Murray had 50 in Game 4 and Game 6. Mitchell had Mm -hmm. 57 in Game 1 and 51 in Game 4. As a reminder, the series went Nuggets, Jazz, 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 Nuggets, Nuggets, Nuggets. So the Jazz had a 3-1 lead and then ultimately lost in Game 7 to the Nuggets. Yeah, they've done that. They've done that. On occasion, I believe. (laughs) Donovan Mitchell averaged 36.3 points a game, five rebounds, and almost five assists in the seven games. He went 57, 30, 20, 51, 30, 44, and 22. I mean, those are nuts games from yeah. Donovan Mitchell. That's. I feel like this has been sort of the high. Like, I don't think he's played better than he did in that series since. That's a, that is a question that's coming up. We're going to get that in one second. Okay. He did have nine turnovers in game seven. Donovan did the game they lost. The game they ended up being kicked out of the playoffs. That's he does. Donovan Mitchell thing. He does. 
it's the stats to me, those stats that I just read off beg the question and we'll, we'll just roll right into the next category into the next mm-hmm. credential here. The burning questions. Is this the best we've seen of those two in their careers? Follow up question. Could this be the best we see of them period over their entire careers? I mean, it kind of depends on, it depends on two things. It depends on, as far as the future part of that question, if Jamal Murray looks the same when he comes back from his injury, which we still don't know. And then also if Donovan Mitchell ends up somewhere besides Utah, which it looks like he's actually probably going, maybe even by the time this podcast comes out, it looks like he might Possibly, but I think both of those questions are important here. If this ends up being the high watermark of their careers, does that help or hurt it? Is yeah. is is it if if they're at twenty five and they reach their peak or whatever it was twenty three and they reach their peak and it's all downhill? Are they just a constant disappointment? Does that make us look back at this and go, "This is uh, we look back at this moment fondly, this duel fondly," or do you mm-hmm. go, "That was the true definition of a flash in the pan"? Those guys were never the same since. I think it matters here. The, the first ballot Hall of Fame, Claire, if you're unfamiliar, it's first mm-hmm. off, it's a tremendous organization. Uh, I'm stealing that uh, from a previous pod. Tremendous organization. But it's not, this isn't kid stuff. This isn't just a goddamn podcast. This is a very serious thing. And we can't just let anything in. We have to be stern. We have to be serious. I want you to be serious. I brought you on here because you're funny, but I need you to be serious as we're considering this. I contain multitudes. Do the, do the, I think this is the best we've ever seen from those guys, but could this be the best we ever see from them? I think this could matter. I think they're too young. I don't think that that's, I, I don't feel comfortable saying it's the best we're ever going to see from them when they're both 25 Yeah. right now. I mean, I'd, like, fair, sure, it's, it's possible, that would be, but that would be historically, as NBA careers go, that would be like a, a historically early peak. I think right. most players peak around like 27, 28. So probably not the best we'll ever see from them, but it, the best so far, I would agree. The next burning question, the, the hell, this is almost a burning follow-up question. Yeah. I want you to rank these players. Okay. Who's the best of these? Donovan Mitchell. There's a lot of names here to consider. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and DeMar DeRozan. Like present day? At, like present right now. day, right now. That's hard. Okay. I would say number one is Devin Booker. I would say two. I would probably go DeMar, honestly, just because. I love this. I love this. Of the season. He, he He's the only other MVP candidate on this list. So I love it. DeMar DeRozan. Then I would probably go, just because we don't know um, about Jamal, like how Jamal is going to come back from injury, hasn't played in a while. I'd probably go Donovan just because he's younger than Bradley Beal. So his ceiling is like to be determined. Then mm-hmm. I would go Bradley Beal. Then I would go Jamal Murray. Only because like That's Jamal Murray could be terrible now when he get, comes right. back and we don't know. Right. True. All fair. Uh, a couple of things I want to, um, I think I might, uh, I don't know if I agree with your list. It's very close to my list. Yeah. I haven't really considered this. I just threw those five, because I think of those five guys as somewhat similar. Great scoring two guards. They're like B or C, probably B tier superstars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't I don't think of any of them as like a defensive stopper. They all make a ton of fucking money. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I appreciate, first off, right out of the gate, the deep respect for DeMar DeRozan, who I think is- yeah disrespected and should not be i love damar he's awesome i love you having mid-range god i think the the thing that's fascinating is you listed jamal murray last year yeah jamal only murray, because of the injury though of course of course yeah and he 
if he's not injured, where do you put him? Uh, probably above both Beal and Mitchell, honestly. I because think so too. I think at his heights, he's better than both of them. But yes. I also think that the thing about injury is like, it's a huge question mark, what he's going to be like coming back. And we've seen that like with Clay Thompson, for example. Yes. Um, He's like kind of a shell of himself. I mean, maybe he'll get back to the heights that he reached before, but most likely not. Um, So I would say like pre-injury, I right. would r- rank these differently. But as it stands right now, yeah. That's how I would rank them. Um, here's what I'm going to say. I've I've made my list. I've only really decided one spot on my list, but I think it's important. Pre-injury, presuming 100% health, he returns to 100% health. I think Jamal Murray might be better than all of the other players on that list. No way he's better than Devin Booker. I, I, have, to, I have to draw a line in the sand here. He's not better than Devin Booker. Devin Booker is like maybe I, <laughs> like top three offensive talent in the league right now, I think. Uh, we're going to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> Claire, we're going to agree to disagree on that. He's crazy good. He's also super young. I think he's like 23 now. They all uh, they all are in that same pocket, 25-year-old, great uh, scoring guards. I don't know. I, I, I uh, Devin Booker obviously had the, what, 70, 70 points or whatever he had, um, and a, clearly a great season last year. But I, I think I wait playoff performances and, like, big stage performances a they little bit. They made it bit. to the fucking NBA Finals, like, two years ago. I know, but what did he do? And they almost won. <laughs> like, they won three games. Like, you know, like, I mean. I guess. I, but is there like a standout? I mean, this is what the show is about. The What's power the of the Jamal Murray moment. or Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal or DeMar DeRozan have ever gone? Just out of curiosity. No, as I. The best, as the best player on their team. No, I was. agree. I wouldn't. That's <laughs> why I think I have Jamal. That's why I think I'm landing with Jamal Murray. Pre, presuming health, Jamal Murray above all of them, because I look at this moment and go, man, when the lights are on, this guy showed up in a scary way. But this is the Western Conference semis. Like, that's the thing is like Devin True. Booker also showed up and every moment until the very end of the NBA finals or in this in this year a little earlier. But like you have nothing but evidence that Devin Booker shows up in in when the lights are brightest, except for a couple of like very, very high level omissions. But let me put it. Let me put it to you this way. Devin Booker has made the playoffs. As soon as he's had a competent point guard, he's made the playoffs every year so far. He made it to he won three games of the NBA finals and he carried the team when Chris Paul was out. So like I he's the best player in this list. Like I like let let the record show that I feel that way like completely like the other four I feel like you could make an argument for any other order. I don't really think there's an argument for anyone on here being better than Devin Booker. I really you, don't. You you are so close to calling me stupid. No, I just so <laughs> no, strongly disagree. Like I just feel like I don't even put I feel like he's I think he's a tier above the other I think with the exception of maybe DeMar, I think Devin is a tier above the other three. Uh, this I can't wait for this season. I hope Jamal Murray comes back. I hope he's healthy. With a vengeance. Yeah. yeah and I, I hope, hope these guys, would, I want to see shot, these guys line honestly. up. I think that the Nuggets have a shot this year um, like to be contenders because if Jamal looks good coming back, they have like some of the most consistency in their lineup. Right. They've been to the playoffs every year for several years running now. Um yeah, I mean, I think they have just as good of a shot as like pretty much anyone else in the West this year, except for the Warriors are still going to be really good. So it, yeah, it feels like that. it feels like the Nuggets could be this year's Suns. They have some continuity. They have mm-hmm. yeah, some their uh, their their stars are back. Hopefully, they're healthy. Um, yeah, they'll yeah, be. Michael Porter Jr. is kind of a T- TBD situation, but Jamal should be back. 
I'm not a. I like a Michael Porter Jr.'s game, but I. Um, I mean, he sucks as like, a person, but he's like yes. really, really good, and he's kind of important to their <laughs> roster. And he has like totally. an indeterminate, really bad back injury that like yes. could last forever. Yes. So. Um, I'm big on trading guys like that as soon as you can uh, raise their um, value. I mean, uh, his value was sky high, and they just didn't trade him when they should have. And now they're screwed. That would kill me as if I was the GM of the Nuggets to know that I had this monster trade chip, and that now that he's injured, and who knows if he's ever going to be back to what he was or back or, or to what he could be. Uh, I man, I love selling high. If you can sell high as a GM, that's got to be the best feeling. Again, uh, removing their personalities. In fact, these are people completely from the equation. Um, yeah, they're all men. I don't mean to disrespect them. I think it's because they got so, they went on that run. There was a lot of like morale, and I think that they were just like they didn't want to trade him like after it because they really overperformed that year. Like they right. beat the Clippers. That was like no one thought that was going to happen. So I think yeah, I think that they just were like. You know, they didn't sell high. They like kept, they held high. And I think yes. that was probably a mistake ultimately, but we'll see. The next credential is our eye test. Claire, what did you see in this moment? Did you see anything in this, uh, in these highlights? Did you see anything in these games that you think adds credibility to this moment in terms of making the first belt hall of fame? Um. Well, first of all, it's like, it's kind of rare that we see like a duel between yes. two players like that. I don't think we would again with even with these two players because I think at this point as long as Jamal's on the Nuggets I think Jokic has gotten so good that yes. I just don't ever think that it would really be a Jamal versus anybody duel right, at this point right because right. Um, Jokic has expanded his game so much that I think he can do a lot of what Jamal did in the series mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. as a seven footer Um, so I think the duel element they're so well matched yep. I think that was really cool to watch they knew each other too they're friends yep. so I yep. think that there was like a little bit of extra sauce there um, and like you and I have talked about, you know, obviously like the embrace at the end was like huge for me. Like, you know, when Donovan Mitchell was just like absolutely devastated and like crying on the ground and Jamal Murray came and gave him a hug and, you know, sort of like said who who knows what in his ear, probably just some sort of words of encouragement. Um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of men showing um, platonic love and affection for each other. And I love that about sports. And so this was like one of the most high profile moments in recent memory where that happened. Um, so that, that kind of gives it a little extra, extra points for me as well. I love, I love both of those ads. I think you're exactly right in terms of the duel. It's pretty rare where you remember a moment because it was like these two guys going back and forth. Like there are a lot of games, singular Mm -hmm. games where you think of that, but for that to happen over the course of a series, I think is special. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree with you there. The, your your next ad there, the 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 hug, the embrace. Mm-hmm. I th- I think you're exactly right. I think that's special. I think, um, you have a tweet that I you know as we were sort of deciding which moments to talk about here on the show. Mm-hmm. You you had the the hug between Chris Paul and Monty Williams, and you talked about how yeah. that. Uh, sports creates that space for men to 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 show that platonic love and yeah i think that's that is special and it's something that all sports fans but particularly men should open themselves to acknowledge and accept yeah yeah i mean it's one of the cool i think it's interesting for me like i've noticed in in sports that it's sort of because as women with our female friends i feel like we show a lot of like we tell each other that we love each other and like Mm -hmm. all the time and you know are supportive of each other and like show a lot of affection for each other and so we get that 
um, on a regular basis from our platonic friends, like as women, I mean, as women just in general, I think not all, but a lot of us. And that's something that I think men who don't aren't involved in athletics, like have a hard time sometimes showing each other. So especially hetero men. So I think, um, yeah, it's something really special about sports. And uh, I was um, mentioning earlier, but before we were recording, what there's a Twitter called Gentle Sports Touches. And it's literally <laughs> just a collection of photos and videos of like men showing like platonic affection and love for each other in the context of sports. And it's a great follow if you if you're if you enjoy this sort of thing and it and it warms your heart. It's it's a really wholesome Twitter account. I think uh I, I love that. I think um the word chemistry is thrown around a lot in sports. Yeah. You like when I think about the team, as I think about the word chemistry, the 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 team I think about is that uh, I'm in love with the Coco Warriors. I remember watching that clip online, seeing them all sing that song on the plane, and I remember thinking, "Uh oh, we're in trouble." These guys have chemistry, and what I really mean by that, and I've said this, is that you can see those guys love each other. Yeah, and and I think camaraderie. Yeah, yes, and I think as male sports fans, you go, "They've got great chemistry." When the truth is, is I think what we are feeling is that you can see that these guys love each other and that comes through. Yes. Yeah. It really does make it special. And it, it, yeah, it does. Whenever you can feel that, that that's really additive uh, to to a moment's chances to make the first ballot Hall of Fame. Not to make not to make this all about the first ballot Hall of Fame, but yeah. hey, this is all about the first ballot Hall of Fame. But it is what it's all about at the end of the day. My eye test um, submission was going to be the pandemic hair and beard from Jamal Murray. Now, after how serious <laughs> and thoughtful yours was, mine feels a little juvenile. But no, I will say I like it when we're all brought to the same level. I liked seeing him. Uh, look like a mess with long hair and a big beard because I go, that's what I look like in the pandemic. That's what you look like in the pandemic. I liked us being all on the same. I liked going, you're going to finish this game and then like run over and put your mask on because you don't want to get sick and I don't want to get sick. And like, we're the same. We're all going through the same thing at the same time. That was my eye test. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. The test of time is our next credential, though. That's when we compare a moment against other moments like it in history. You mentioned, this is all coming off the heels of you, I believe, accurately mentioning the duel of this. Yeah. I'm looking through other duels. I want to go through a couple and then uh, I want to go through a couple and and we'll discuss them. Sure. The notable playoff duels I think about, Bird and Dominique, 1988. Cool. Bird in game one, Bird had 38, Neek had 25. Game four, Bird had 30, Neek had 40. And game seven, the big one, Bird had 34, and Dominique Wilkins had 47. I I, I think that's close. I think the duel to compare this one against is Allen Iverson and Vince Carter in 2001. I believe that's the Eastern Conference Finals, perhaps. Okay. AI averaged 33, four and a half boards, almost seven assists, and three steals per game. Carter averaged 36 boards, five and a half assists, almost two steals, and two blocks per game. Fantastic series stats for those two. They Mm -hmm. had 36 and 35 in game one. AI had 54 in game two, and Vince had 28. Vince had 50, answered with 50 in game three. Iverson had 23. They had 30 and 25 in game four. AI had 52 in game five. Vince had 39 to Iverson's 20 in game six. 
And then the college graduation thing happened in game seven. Vince goes, graduates from NC, takes the flight to Philly, and then loses the game on the buzzer beater that he missed. Raptors are eliminated. Sixers, I believe, go to the go to the NBA finals. That to me is the right comparison here. As yeah. you think about Iverson Carter and Murray Mitchell, do you think one is better than the other? What's your thoughts, Claire? I mean, to be totally honest, this is that we're talking now about a time in basketball where I was very young and I wasn't <laughs> paying attention on the same level. I mean, I'm not a child. I'm thirty I'm thirty-two, so I'm not how like a baby. Dare you. But I don't feel qualified to um, give a, give a true assessment of comparing these two duels, just because that was before I was like really paying attention to basketball. But I mean, just based on like those stats and like you know the description that I just heard, like yeah, they sound pretty pretty comparable. And I mean, AI. Shout out to Harrison Fagan's. Twitter bit, but people forget AI was a bucket. Nobody forgets that, but um, nobody forgets that. Everybody knows AI was a bucket, but, but yeah, I mean, if you make me pick one of these two duels, I think I have to check down to Iverson and Carter. First off, it yeah. was so I'm so offended that you called me old. Second, if I have <laughs> to choose, <laughs> if I have to choose between these two, I think I go Carter Iverson for two reasons. One, the, mm -hmm. the college graduation thing, which was a big news story. And then two, the names. Allen Iverson and Vince Carter, we know what they are now. And again, yeah. this is a byproduct of time. Maybe in time we will think of Murray and Mitchell as up there amongst Iverson and Carter. I don't personally, I don't see it, but mm -hmm. maybe we do. I, 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 whenever I get to test of time, I go, if I can find a moment that's like this, that's definitely better, my brain starts going, well, can I put in the second best? playoff duel is mm -hmm. is that what i'm gonna do with the first bell hall of fame I, I don't know i just think it's something to consider iverson and carter those are two monster names again they're a byproduct of time but I, i'm not certain i see mitchell and murray going off to have iverson and carter careers no absolutely not i don't think either of them will be either of those players at this point Screw this basketball shit. Can I talk? Can we talk about your music career? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tell me how you got into music. Tell me about Tiny Desk. I want to know everything because I love music. I have no musical ability, and I'm fascinated by the music industry and people that get into music business. Tell me about your career and how you got to where you are. I mean, I've been doing music since I was 16, and um, that's when I started playing shows, and that's when I taught myself how to play guitar. Um, so I've been through several different lifetimes really in mm. my music career. Um, I've been doing Tiny Deaths, which is the project I do now since like 2014. Um, it's like dreamy pop, mm -hmm. uh, sort of like indie music, I would Beautiful. say. Oh, thank you so much. Um, working on new music for that actually right now, hopefully to be released later this year, at least a single. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's been my job. That's been my, my full-time job for years. And I sort of basketball was just like a hobby that I was really right. into. And then basically none of my music friends wanted to like talk about basketball with me or, or not none of them, but they, I got to a point where I got so obsessed with it that my knowledge had surpassed their knowledge to such a degree that they, I was just boring them to tears when I was right. trying to talk about it. <laughs> so that's when I kind of turned to NBA Twitter and started like shouting into the void there. And then that has now taken on a life of its own and become like almost like a second career for me. But Phenomenal. Um, at the end of the day, like I music is still, you know, my like life's work and 
my main my main thing. I appreciate and value your voice on NBA Twitter. Um, everybody <laughs> should follow her uh, at Claire MPLS. Uh, yes. The your music career though. Uh, yes. You write all you write all of your own music. Yeah, I mean, I so I executive produce slash co produce all. Or I, for the new stuff that I'm working on right now, mm-hmm. at least all of it, of the instrumentals. And then I write all the lyrics and melody. Tell me so. about your writing process. How do songs come to you? Um, it oh, seems like magic. Question. I just want to, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you off. We're talking about no, toxic no, masculinity. I'm jumping in. It seemed to me, music is like magic. Music, like it's like a, a room full of people like sitting and then you put music on and, every, and then people start dancing. They like start moving their butt. Music is like, ma- it's like pure magic and i don't understand where it comes from and maybe it's because i'm not really creative (laughs) that this fascinates me but i'm curious where your music comes from how do you write a song tell me about your process um well so generally like i get inspired by like you know just things that are sort of like existential crises whether that's like a relationship or like growing pains in life or like going through a big life change or anything like that so and then I don't really know. That's the thing. That's kind of why I used to think about maybe I could like teach songwriting on the side as like a source of, you know, side income. Because mm. as a musician, I feel like at least early in your career, you're always like trying to figure out like, wait, how else could I be making money? There's got to be another thing I can do, right? <laughs> so and then at a certain point, I, I tried teaching and I just realized like, I don't know how to explain how I do this right. in a way that's helpful. Right. Because for me the best way I can describe it is that writing songs is the way that I like synthesize the human experience. Like the way that I respond to being alive is by writing songs. Like that's how I make sense of the world around me and my own feelings. And that's been true since I was literally in kindergarten, which is when I started writing. Um, so I don't really know, to be honest. That was a lovely sentence. I really enjoyed hearing that. That's a very thoughtful, lovely sentence. And when I hear it, it does make me go, yeah, I don't have that. Like, I don't have that thing. I think that's what makes music, good music and musicians special is that yeah. you all do that. That is the way you see life. That is the way you process things. And you can take all of that in and export this beautiful song. And I just, it just seems like magic that that happens, that thoughts start in your brain and you see things and take things in. And then it comes out this beautiful art. I just... I'm fascinated by art and artists. I, I, uh, I'm not either. I'm not either of those things. And so, you know, I, I listen to some of your music and in, in preparing for this and it's just beautiful. It's just, be- you have a lovely, beautiful voice. And Thank again, so I only, I sort of thought of you as the person on Twitter that makes me laugh and has <laughs> these great LeBron takes. I didn't know about your music career. And so if, if, if you're like me and you don't know her music career, Tiny Deaths, check them out. They're, they're fantastic. Um, Thank you. T- t- can you tell me about performing on stage? W- what is it like to be singing a song in front of a group of people and to feel that connection and that vibe? What is that like? Oh, man. I mean, there's nothing like it, really. I think it's like a I haven't performed live to be to be fair and fully transparent since before. Like I have, I guess, on like web streams and stuff, but I haven't mm. performed live in front of an audience before the pandemic. Um, but before this is the, by far the longest I've ever gone without playing a show. I, like I said, I started performing when I was like 16. Um, but it's crazy. I think like 
it's I think the audience has a lot more to do with the experience than they give themselves credit for. And I've talked to a lot of musicians about that. And I think that they agree in that. I think it's really like a it's like a it's like an alchemy between the audience and the performer. Like we're not just like performing into a void like we feed off of that energy. And like obviously a great performer can put on a really good show regardless of if there's like five people or five thousand people. But I do think that like. I feed off of the audience's energy so much. And like, I think that it's sort of like, that's why, that's why, you know, concerts are so special is because it is sort of like lightning in a bottle, like no two mm, are the same and you can right. perform the exact same set in three different cities and have a completely different experience. So I think that basketball players are absolutely entertainers just to like tie in basketball a little bit. Like, I think that they are putting on a show and I think that they feed off the crowd the same, which is we saw in the bubble, like really got to some of these guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just about like, I think of myself in some ways and as a songwriter as like, I don't want to, I don't want to give my, I don't, I don't take myself very seriously. So I don't want this to be interpreted that way. Cause I, I think I have like the most silly, ridiculous job ever. And it's like so inconsequential in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. But I think of myself a little bit as like a martyr because I like, like as a role because I feel like I have to dig in super super deep to like the most intense feelings and like the most like the deepest darkest parts of my soul and try and like extract something useful from that and like like I said synthesize it translate it into song form so that when other people ultimately are feeling those feelings they can like pull up a specific song and be like yeah this makes me feel like seen understood whatever right um and I think that I, I think that's like a huge honor, honestly, as a job. And like, I'm, I love that that's my job. And I think that like, that's like what, honestly, what bigger honor could there be really than like mm. being the soundtrack to someone's life and like mm. creating, creating something to like help them understand the human experience. Like, I don't know, like that's, it's pretty fucking cool. So um, it can be I'm emotionally exhausting, but it's cool. I I'm obsessed with perfect sentences and I feel like you're full of them. I feel like you've, you've doled out a, a, well, I'm a handful of them so far. <laughs> so it's it's it, my truly, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and you. I think you're exactly right. Alchemy is a perfect word for that. And I mean, I don't understand as a performer. I've never performed. I, I don't perform. I couldn't perform, but could, I right? love NBA runs. I love when a, when a run is going on in a game and yeah. the crowd is up and you just know that the next shot's going in. Like you, the guy yeah. gets a steal and they race it up and they and pass it over. And waiting the, for it. Too. Yes, you're all yeah, waiting. Like it's like, oh my God, it's, it's electric. You just know it's going to go in. And I feel like that is powered by the fans and the audience. And it's the reason why we all keep cheering. And it's the reason we listen to music and love music. Uh, yeah. It is all that stuff is really special, and yeah. I, I feel like we all need to appreciate those those moments. Yeah. Those things. Back to our moment. Up. Yes. The next credential quickly is the press conference. This is when we go through some some post game quotes. Okay. The Jazz had a three one lead, went to Game Seven. Nuggets had a nineteen point lead in Game Seven before the Jazz came back. Jazz ultimately lost on a crazy finish. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell. Drives one-on-one -on -one against Gary Harris. Gary Harris totally yoinks him. Just a great defensive play. Steals yeah. the ball from Mitchell after Mitchell blows by him. Jamal Murray gets the ball, drives back down. Ends up passing for some reason. Doesn't pull the ball out and, and take the foul. Uh, they miss a, a, a layup, a true layup. Jazz come back down. Michael Conley, Donovan Mitchell standing at the three-point line, jumping, ready to take the shot, tie or win the game, and win game yeah. seven. 
Uh, Conley ends up throwing up a pair. It does not go. Wild finish. After the game, Donovan Mitchell says to reporters, we fought hard and came back. I'd go to war with any one of these guys in this locker room and any one of these coaches. The reason this quote is interesting is because now he's probably going to get traded they are by choice. All getting shipped out. <laughs> Literally everyone in the locker room and him. Totally. As well. the, coach, the coach the coach quit. <laughs> the GM I think has been different since then, isn't it? That's, totally. that's pre Danny Ainge. Yep, yeah. Danny Ainge. I feel like Danny Ainge is going to go full Fox News on this jazz if he gets the opportunity. <laughs> He didn't just only white people. I I swear I feel like he's <laughs> well. He's you got to sell tickets in Utah somehow. You know, he, you're gonna see like there's gonna be uh, my guess is there's like some kid who's like get a Tyler high Hero, school junior. Duncan Robinson. I'm no. telling you, it's gonna happen. <laughs> he's gonna throw big contracts away. He's gonna go full on Fox News in yeah. Utah. It makes uh, total sense. I mean, if if there were ever a place for it, you know, oh, completely it's definitely Utah. Completely. The next category is our cosine. Okay. This is a category for you, Claire DeLoon. Mm-hmm. The question is, should the Murray-Mitchell duel make the first ballot Hall of Fame and why the floor is yours? Well, I'm a little, I'm in a tough spot because I feel like as the guest on this episode dedicated to this moment, I feel like I'm, I should make a case for why it should be in the Hall of Fame. Um but I do also watch a ton of basketball, and I don't know how big the Hall of Fame is. But there are so many great moments. Like, I mean, you said you're being very selective. Very selective. If we're going about, like, impact in the history of the NBA and, like, the history, the scope of the league, I don't know if this moment had that big of an impact. Except to say that it did kind of legitimize the bubble, which I think was important yes. for my purposes because that's when the Lakers and LeBron James <laughs> won a championship. So actually, I've I've totally worked my way around 360 <laughs> degrees and now I think it's so important and it absolutely should go in the Hall of Fame. If only because of the service it did to LeBron James. Because also, LeBron then turning around and beating these Nuggets in five games immediately or whatever, or like two rounds later. Right. Um it you know is all the more impressive since they had this crazy finish so sure yeah it belongs in the hall of fame absolutely <laughs> not a shadow of doubt it's really important yep that's so funny <laughs> yeah it belongs there that's the, where it belongs <laughs> the next credential is the induction speech that's where me i neil get to decide whether this moment makes the first spell hall of fame i'm going to take everything claire just said into account the bubble was special basketball. Am I saying that in part, as Claire just did, to further legitimize my Los Angeles Lakers winning that championship? <laughs> of course I am. Yeah. But by all accounts, the basketball in the bubble was fantastic. Everyone was healthy. Everyone was focused. The mm-hmm. gameplay was great. The performances were incredible. Dame, Jimmy Butler, AD, Bam, Luka, Kawhi, LeBron, of course. And maybe the most memorable performances from the bubble, as you noted, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, this duel. However, ultimately, this was a first-round playoff matchup featuring two teams who haven't really won anything historically, featuring two players who aren't yet superstars. We don't know what the future holds for either of them. Is there anything particularly funny about this moment? No. Is there anything particularly cool about this moment? Not really. That said, I believe, Claire, that before you made this solely about LeBron James and his legacy, 
you were going to vote no, and I appreciate you taking the first ballot Hall of Fame so seriously. I do too. The Mitchell Murray duel is a great moment in sports, but it is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, I would have said at the top of this episode, there'd be no way we could make this moment about the Lakers, but we did it. A tip of the cap to you, Claire, for somehow making this all about your guy, LeBron James. My superpower, (laughs) I can make anything about LeBron James. Like, we can be talking about a medical emergency. We can be talking about a trip to Timbuktu. Like, I will make it about LeBron. (laughs) LeBron, uh, to close here, LeBron better than Michael Jordan? Yeah. He's the greatest (laughs) basketball player of all time. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's it. That's the show. My special thanks to Claire DeLune and my special thanks to my editor, Rob Arucci, and to my producer, Jessica Sang. Rhythm J makes all the music on the show. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. If you do like the show, please consider rating and reviewing it. I'd appreciate it. And come back next week for more First Ballot. Dragon fruits are hideous.